The next hour will inform you on how cybersecurity is one of the most significant threats to our national security, as well as the battle that cybersecurity experts are undergoing every day on your behalf to protect you, your families, and your data. Welcome to Task Force 7 Radio with your host, the president and CEO of Task Force 7 Radio and Task Force 7 Technologies, George Reedus. Hello, everyone. Welcome to episode number 176 of Task Force 7 Radio, the voice of cybersecurity. I'm Andy Bonello, pinch hitting for George Reedus. I want to emphasize that all the pins expressed in this show are my own and that that of my present or past employers. I'll never disclose any sensitive intelligence or privilege to as a result of my current employment. I'll never knowingly disclose any classified information related to any security clearances I presently hold or have held in the past with the United States government. And nothing I say during this show should be construed as legal or financial advice. Before we get started, I want to remind everyone that you can go online to the Cybersecurity Hub and get a recap of tonight's show and get other up-to-date cybersecurity breaking news at the very cool website, www.cshub.com. The Cybersecurity Hub is an online news source for global cybersecurity professionals and business leaders who leverage technology and services to secure their networks. The media professionals at the Cybersecurity Hub are dedicated to providing the latest industry news, thought leadership, and analysis in the cybersecurity space. So again, a check out a recap of tonight's show and get other up-to-date cybersecurity breaking news. Go to Cybersecurity Hub at cshub.com. That's the Cybersecurity Hub at cshub.com. Well, folks, last week we had former Executive Vice President of Verizon Communications and the current co-chair of New York University Center for Cybersecurity, Mr. Randy Milch, join me on the show. Man, Randy is such a great person, such an industry legend in telecommunications. I was so excited to have him on last week. He talked about how NYU is breaking down legal and technical silos to develop a more informed cybersecurity risk and legal workforce. He also gave an overview of his recent Lawfare blog post titled, What's Good for Litigation Isn't Necessarily Good for Cybersecurity, and, there's a, and how there's a need for post-breach cybersecurity privilege and the traction he's currently getting amongst regulators, the Hill and the enterprise world. I think it's a fascinating topic. We finished up the show with Randy sharing his career advice and why it's important to take risks and how that's panned out for him. And he's had such a sex, successful career. It's worth listening to folks. All this and much, much more at episode number 175 of Task Force 7 Radio. If you missed it, don't sweat it. We're on at least 11 different playback mediums, folks. You can find us everywhere. That's episode number 175. What's good for litigation isn't good for cybersecurity on last week's episode of Task Force 7 Radio. Well, folks, we have a return guest for you tonight. I'm excited to bring back General Manager of the Americas for Findings.co, David Revive, back on the show tonight. David developed his thirst for technology early while in the Israeli Air Force as a drone pilot, where he still today owns and pilots drones. David later transitioned to Canada, where he pursued his undergraduate degree in computer science and a master's in business administration. Further interest in technology led him to join Robert Herjavec's organization. You know Robert from Shark Tank, where he was one of the first round of thinkers and doers at the Herjavec's group, responsible for technical sales and business development, which led to over $15 million in sales. David continues his quest for technical knowledge, holding a CISSP certification since 2001. After settling down in the U.S., David has been instrumental in transforming numerous technology startups such as Proofpoint, Optiv, and Hyper. In 2013, David founded the New York Information Security Meetup, the largest independent security group in the country, hosting over 85 live events in New York City. The group now has over 5,500 active members, and David is focused on sharing intelligence with like-minded experts via his fireside chats with pioneers in technology industry. His passion for information security has led him to virtualizing his events to accommodate today's forever-changing regulatory environment. <clears throat> Currently, David holds a position of General Manager of Americas at Findings.co, a company sent to disrupt 
the third-party supply chain compliance and verification process. It's my pleasure to introduce General Manager for Americas for Findings.co, Mr. David Raviv. David, welcome back to Task Force 7 Radio, brother. Thanks, Andy. Happy to be here and very excited to be part of this show today. Yeah, man. Look, before we hopped on the show, you told me a little bit about some fun little fact about, you know, food recycling that you're embarking on here for the next couple of days. How's Herschel, <laughs> Herschel the pig doing? <laughs> so, yeah, I, you know, I, I just mentioned the fact that if you hear some squealing in the background, um, you know that I haven't, you know, it's not I kidnap a pig or something. I just I'm just basically uh, pig sitting for about a week. And so I mentioned that the fact that the good news about this is that pigs are not picky about what they eat. Um, you know, they're pigs, right? And I used to like throw out like, lots of food, food uh, waste and so on. And now basically, you know, there's a little guy outside that really likes everything I throw out at him. So he's, uh, you know, I feel, you know, it's, it's a win-win. I, you know, it's good for an environment and I feel good about not throwing the food. And Herschel is very appreciative. Look, I love it, brother. You know what? Look. It's it's a beautiful thing, right? That you're in a position. And we saw a lot of this during COVID, right? I mean, it's not just around taking care of the pig, right? But like people taking care of other people during tough times, right? And, and being appreciative of, of being able to lend a, lend a helping hand. And I feel like, you know, look, you you interview a ton of people in the cybersecurity space, and and so do I. And I, and I'm I'm always appreciative of people like you who are always lending a helping hand to those that are just getting started in our space. And it's really tough, right? Especially right now. And so I want to get your thoughts on just kind of where you see in the struggles for people, um, you know, entering into the market today. Yeah, absolutely. So um, I do, I have, I run a community of 5,500 members and it's uh, growing daily. And I've been um, doing these podcasts live once, uh, maybe once, three times to three times a week. And um, what I found is, especially when people are getting into cybersecurity, that they, they typically get the um, the job they had, not the job they want, which is actually one of the rules of thumbs. If you want to be successful at hiring, you hire for the job you know somebody wants, not the job they had. And it seems like these days, recruiters they when they tailor a position, they tailor specifically to uh, to a position, and the hiring manager don't really look at uh, the person's uh, you know capabilities and um, you know past experiences they basically I think they look at the current title and position and company and that's it and if it matches the current job opening then it's great they get get called into an interview otherwise they're just being uh, put to the wayside and it's really unfortunate because you have a lot of qualified highly qualified individuals that have the aptitude to learn and then very quickly can adjust to uh, to the new role and be very good at it, very appreciative, as you mentioned, um, and hence doing a great, great job. Uh, and yet they're not, they don't, they're not given a chance. So do you, do you think that's because people are on the hiring side are, you know, like don't want to take a risk. I mean, I hear a lot, like, especially when I was working at going into the kind of the CISO track, well, you know, you've never been a CISO before. So big companies obviously don't want to take a chance on you, the individual that wants to be a CISO. Uh, because they 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 think it's too risky. Do, do you think that's part of it? Like just people are trying to hedge their bet on their own individual risk. Yes, I, I well I think so for sure, Andy. I think that's one of the reasons. You know, so being risk adverse is you know you don't you know you want to hire somebody who uh, obviously has a track record. So I guess um, you know you can say that uh, history 
you know, history of the employment uh, proves that you can actually do it. Uh, but I also think that uh, people nowadays are, they're just so ADD, right? They're like bombarded, you know, even during COVID time, right? They're bombarded from all over the place. But, uh, you know, there's, there's a lot going on. For, for people in personal life and professional life, people like now raising their kids and at home and there's this, you know, there's being Zoomified back to back meetings. Um, they're under a lot of stress. They, you know, you open up the, uh, you know, the TV, the telly, and then you get bombarded with like really bad news. And, and anyway, so long story short, I think that because of all of this, you know, people minimize the, you know, A, the risks associated with hiring uh, and just in general in life. And then also, um, they just don't have the time to really dig into it. I think also, this is why people don't necessarily read articles these days. They look at the title, you know, and they also maybe watch a, you know, one or two minute of a YouTube video and they get the information, the content from there. So I think the, the reason being is just lack of ability to really dive into the details. So no one has the time to really review resume and then really figure it out, okay, what are the capabilities? Is this person really, does this person really has the aptitude to, uh, to, to do the job well? And as you mentioned, it can be super, you know, frustrating, you know, when, you know, and especially in the, I think the kind of the entry level jobs where people, you know, the first job is super, uh, you know, super important, that like stepping stone to, into the security space. Um, and there's a lot of new, uh, you know, new graduates and people that are switching from other, you know, other career choices to, to cybersecurity, and they're just not given the chance. Um, and then when they are, you know, I find that they do amazingly well. So I interviewed this lady who used to be a cashier at ShopRite, and um, she somehow knew somebody that uh, worked at a security company and managed to get her the first position. And, of course, uh, she took a couple courses and so on, but she's doing amazingly well, this really it. young lady. And she was, you know, she was bagging groceries at ShopRite. And now she's a security researcher. Yeah, I love it, right? I mean, it just comes down to like wanting, having that drive and like wanting to dig in and like not being able to afraid, not being too afraid to take that chance. Like, you know, I think about, you know, the personality fit, you know, and the culture fit. And that part to me seems to get overlooked a lot when you look at, you know, the intangibles of a candidate, you know, that, that just don't come out on a resume, right? Everyone writes them so structured and looking for certs and, did I have this you know, degree in, in our space? I feel like, man, that's just like the wrong way to, to represent um, people's backgrounds. You know, what, what, recommend, what would you recommend new people doing coming in the field to kind of set themselves apart to let those intangibles be noticed? So listen, first of all, I couldn't agree more. I think cultural fit is often overlooked and it's, um, I think it really it's a make or break, you know, aside from the hard skill. The soft skills are really the hard skills. And so, you know, what I recommend is, um, is getting out of your, you know, getting out of your shell, right? And I'll explain. So, for example, I, in my group, I went publicly on LinkedIn and I said, hey, you know, if you're trying to get into the space and you struggle, book a, uh, hold on one second. Alexa, stop. Sorry, I apologize. We're going to have to oh, cut good. this up. So, let's start over. So, in, in, um, Okay, throw me off for a second. Uh, so what I what I offer to my group is anybody who struggles to get into the space to book a short 10, 15-minute session with me when I'm going to go online, on air, 
and ask a couple questions to let the person shine through and peek through their resume to to make sure that they love it. Per, the person hired. But here's the thing. I was expecting a blow up of people reaching out to me. And I did have a couple, a handful of people, but not not really. I think that people are, you know, they're bitching and complaining about not being able to get a job. But yeah, when it comes down to, you know, getting out of your comfort zone, they yeah, don't do it. You got to take the risk, right? You got to be willing take to take the risk. So and that's a challenge in our space. I think people, there's, if you think of the personality types, like if you were to kind of put people in buckets, right, from the, from the personality type perspective, very traditional list driven, you know, follow the run book kind of mentality for some of these entry level jobs. And uh, that, that, you know, as much as we want the security researcher creativity right out of the gate, it, people's personality kind of limits their desire yeah. to come out of that comfort. Yeah. And, uh, and by the way, uh, common, you know, common effort leads to common results. There you go. This is it. So, you know, you can, there's a lot you can do. Anybody can take your video camera, a web camera, record a two minute session, a three minute session. It doesn't have to be by me. They can have a family member ask a couple questions, record it, put it on YouTube. It's absolutely free and send that link to the potential, um, you know, potential hire or hiring manager. It, it doesn't cost anything. And uh, you can, you know, there's something that anybody can do, but people just don't take advantage of, of uh, you know, the current tools that they have. So, so you've had a fascinating career, man. Like, I'll be honest, like, I mean, obviously you're in the Israeli, you know, Air Force and you're flying drones and I think you still pilot them today. Um, you know, kind of how, how does that background and experience in, look, when you go through that kind of training, that young in your life, right. And I, you know, I've been there, um, it, it changes you, right? Your level of confidence goes through the roof, right? You, you're put in situations where you can't fathom, right? As a younger, young professional, right? That, you know, you thought, you, you know, that you could do these things that they're asking you to do, right? And even if you thought you could do them, you know, you found another level to reach at some point in that, in that training and in that, in those types of work, right? How do we get young people today who are not serving, not going through some sort of, you know, you know, physical and mental challenge as it relates to like pushing the envelope of what they can and cannot do and really understanding their strengths and weaknesses to get that kind of experience without having to enlist or, you know, be a, a cop or whatever. Like how, how are you, you know, advising people to kind of get that, get out of their comfort zone? Yeah. You know, that's a great question. So I can tell you again from, from interviewing a bunch of people. So I interviewed a very successful uh, VP of marketing, young guy, very determined, doing quite well for himself, has a, you know, very young age, has a couple of real estate investments. And I asked him the same question. So he never served, but for over a year and a half, almost two years, he, he was uh, going door to door, you know, selling something. You know, and he said, and he was doing that in Detroit. There so, you go. so he said, listen, after doing that, nothing, nothing looks difficult. And the same goes for me. Like, you know, after serving, you know, six years in the Air Force, um, you know, you, you go through all kinds of experiences that are very, very difficult. And, you know, what, what doesn't, you know, it's a hormesis principle, right? You put some pressure and then, you, you know, makes you stronger. So I, f I think that's, 
you don't necessarily have to serve, you know, even though I highly recommend if somebody wants to do that, but you can pick a, you know, as a young person, you can pick anything that is difficult, you know, go, go like, you know, fishing in Alaska, do some very, you know, some difficult, difficult roles that will basically make you, you know, make you better, just, you know, develop those calluses that yeah. you need. And calluses, not, you know, not calluses just in, on your finger, you know, fingertips, but also calluses in your mind to make sure that you're capable, you know, doing, you know, everything else down the road. So, so look, man, the, the tech curve, right. Let's switch gears just a little bit, right. Cause I feel like we are, we're adopting technology at a very fast rate at, at, at enterprise and we're not focused really on the training of the individuals. Like if we even look at the cybersecurity companies, right. And we're in it where innovation's happening, but really where investments are happening, you're seeing a lot of investment going into new tech, but you're not seeing a lot of investment really driving into helping the individuals have the knowledge to be ready to handle the tech once it's developed and put into the enterprise. Right. So, you know, I feel like there's kind of two parts to this question. One, right, what do we need to do better in terms of the enterprise, in terms of tech adoption to get companies actually like up to speed on tech? And then two, what do we got to do to get the people ready to handle the monthly change in the tech curve? Yeah, this is a great question. So the first part, in terms of the technology adoption, I think uh, companies are really struggling with the technology stack right now. They already made investments in tremendous investment in technology throughout, you know, so the the past 10, 15 years. And some of these investments are now obsolete in, in the sense that if they must have spent millions of dollars on Archer. And now they're trying to do things with Archer that Archer wasn't designed to do. But no one no one is willing to go out and say, hey, the, you know, the the king is naked. And just say, hey, let's shelf this, you know, put that aside and get something else and, and you know, and create something new because because everybody's involved in it and in the investment. So that no one wants to take the, you know, the risk of, of saying that, hey, let's let's forklift this and move that away. And I think some of this is why some of the newer companies are doing so well from a technology yeah. perspective and risk perspective, because you don't have the legacy systems. So all those new startups, you know, two, three, four, five years of age, they come in with a clean slate. They do all, you know, cloud first, mobile first, you know, mobile workforce and so on. So they, they're um, way more capable than some of these older, more established businesses out there because they don't have to deal with legacy technology. So coming back to the original questions, I think first and foremost, they should really take a hard look at what they have uh, and say, hey, you know, even though we made investment and even our people are trained and so on, if it doesn't deliver, just throw it away, you know, just throw it out, take something else and, and implement that. Um, and then the second question is the the training. I think that's a really difficult question to answer because I don't think anybody can, you know, today learn enough from all those tools out there to be super proficient in any one tool. So we have to be, you know, almost these, uh, these expert generalists, which is a kind of an oxymoron, in in a sense that they everybody needs to know, you know, a little bit about everything, and I, I think from uh I think that's not necessarily the kind of the 
onus on the employees to learn. I think the onus is really on the tech companies to make technologies easier and uh, you know more user friendly to to uh, to use. And then all of it is is the way that the software is designed um, and potentially leverage some you know machine learning and AI to allow you know to allow, allow people just to just to start using it without much training. It's got to be simple, right? It's got to be very simple. simple. It's got to cool. be very simple. Yeah, I appreciate that insight. All right, folks, we've got to transition to a commercial break. So, hey, if you're a social media junkie, don't forget to follow TF7 Radio on your favorite social media platform. Follow us on Twitter, LinkedIn, Facebook, and Instagram by searching at TF7 Radio, and you'll be connected to the extended TF7 family on your favorite social media platform. For inquiries regarding sponsoring the show or suggestions for topics or guests, please email, email George directly at george.redis at tf7radio.com. That's george.redis at tf 7 that's the number seven, folks, radio.com. We're going to pause for a quick message from our sponsors, and we're right back with General Manager of Americas for Findings.co, David Revive. Whatever you do, don't go away. You're listening to Task Force 7 Radio, the voice of cybersecurity. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. As CISOs manage known malware attacks, they also contend with the unknown unknowns. With 24-7 Hacker Innovation, where do CISOs place their next security investment bet? Find the answer with Signet. With forums and public and private partnership dinners in Toronto, London, Singapore, Tokyo, and across the U.S., Signet is a mission-focused, purpose-driven global community, advancing the next generation of cybersecurity solutions. As an entrepreneurial ecosystem super connector, Signet brings innovators, top cybersecurity professionals, solution providers, investors, and government executives into a collaborative alliance. Join Signet's global community to empower your organization and the industry to defeat hackers with cybersecurity's next generation of innovation. Learn more at Secure. Security-innovation.org or Google Signet S-I-N-E-T. In today's interconnected world, digital transformation is taking us on a journey towards exciting new ways to work, live, and communicate. In business, staying out in front of the competition means pushing the boundaries of the status quo and exploring the possibilities of the future. However, pushing forward into this fast-changing digital landscape brings a new level of uncertainty and risk that must be measured, understood, and managed. By delivering state-of-the-art cyber risk analytics, X-Analytics is setting the standard to bring business clarity to the complex cyber threats organizations face each and every day. When it comes to understanding your financial exposure to cyber risk, trust what the global cyber insurance industry and Fortune 500 companies trust. Trust X-Analytics to guide you through the uncertainty into cyber risk clarity. For more information about X-Analytics, visit our website today at x-analytics.com. That's x-analytics.com. X-Analytics, setting the standard in the enterprise cyber risk management. Have you friended us on Facebook yet? Why not? Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for the keywords Voice America. Once you are part of our Facebook network, you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and new happenings at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. And you can add your voice to the always active discussions on our timeline. Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for Voice America. You're listening to Task Force 7 Radio with George Redis. 
If you'd like to find out more about our program, please visit the website at taskforce7radio.com. Again, that's Task Force 7 with the number 7, radio.com. Now, back to this week's show. Here again is your host, George Ritas. Welcome back to Task Force 7 Radio, the voice of cybersecurity. We're back with General Manager of Americas for Findings.co, David Revive. So, David. Thanks, honey. Hey. Hey, man. T- tell me what's going on over at Findings and uh, what-, what problem are you guys solving? Yeah, thank you. So, uh, we are a uh, supply chain risk platform automation, basically. Um, what we do is we, we find that uh, a lot of companies have a third-party risk management tools already in place. And uh, some of them are, you know, legacy, as I mentioned, like Archer and uh, all kinds of uh, supply chain uh, management tools out there. And then they also use tools to do third-party risk, like, uh, you know, security scorecard, BitSight, uh, and, uh, and so on, and use some other OSINT tools to detect um, the kind of the attack surface for third-party. Um, but we find is that the gap is really in the uh, automation component, meaning that they send and receive these questionnaires, and then they uh, and these questionnaires can be very tedious. They can be up to like you know, three hundred questions, even more. And what happens? You get these questions back, and and it's both from from you know tedious from from the vendor side of, of the house um, as well as the the enterprise. So it goes both ways. And because uh, even the enterprise itself gets these questionnaires, right? So it's like a two-way street. They get yeah, these questionnaires from other companies. Yeah. And then, and then you receive a bunch of uh, answers, and then you have to sift through them. So think about it. This, uh, you know, I talked to a person yesterday for, uh, so, sorry, on Friday last, uh, last week uh, about uh, their role. And they, they do about uh, maybe three, four assessments a week, and they have to sift through hundreds of questions, and then they have to figure out what the gaps are. Right. And once they sort of assessment model in front of it, like it's a pain. Yeah. And then you have to figure out what are the kind of the, the no go, you know, the, the absolutely, you know, serious gaps that they need to, to fix. And then they have to reach back to the vendor. And that whole process takes weeks, sometimes months. And, um, you know, in the fast pace of things, you know, for example, the solo wind environment, uh, you know, breach that just happened, you know, that really um, was an earthquake. And what happened is now, you have a company with thousands of suppliers. They currently only monitor about maybe 20% of them just due to the lack of, of uh, people power and in, in, in process uh, you know, in place. And then, but what, what's going to happen is that 80% is completely unmonitored just because of the lack of ability to, to do so. And we call that kind of the long tail of uh, third-party exposure that nobody's looking at. So that's the problem we solved. We have the ability to automate that uh, in a completely cloud environment, uh, highly secure, highly customizable. You can see the the uh, suppliers filling out the questionnaires in real time. You can interact with the suppliers. Um, you know the whole the whole platform is is uh, is basically built for you know fulfill those gaps in the current situation and current third party risk management uh, tools. So man, I, your comment around the 300 questions or more, right? It's, it's so true. We, I've had to, I've been a part of a couple of different third party, you know, programs. And as we look to, to make this thing a little better, you know, we, we, some of the success I've had has been around like applying, 
underwriting principles to the process, like what we did in cyber insurance. And that seems to be able to start to help shrink the amount of questions you know you have to answer to get the most risk reduction. Like what, what are you seeing other companies do to try to limit the amount of questions and make the make this process outside of automation um, you know a little easier to consume? So that's a great question. So I don't think these questions are going away. And um, and by the way, you know something that just came out. Uh, I don't know if you saw that, but Biden is planning to uh, put an executive order on cybersecurity breach notifications. Uh, this in the, this past week, yeah, it's and, and so even breach notification is part of that process of third party risk, right? How do you how do you get the, the third party vendor to notify you in, in kind of almost in real time? So come back to your original question. Um, these questions are not going away, and if if more so, they're going to have more questions. They're going to start having questionnaires. Uh, so CMMC, for example, the you know, for, for the defense contractors is also very, very yep. uh, extensive. Uh, we're going to start having questionnaires about uh, potentially about diversity in organizations. Um, you know, so I, I think that the only way to solve that is uh, using uh, machine learning, using uh, NLP, natural language processing, and basically taking these questions. Because I'll give you an example. Uh, a question can have you know, five different forms, you know, do you have a firewall? Do you have a, uh, you know, they have a security uh, policy around inbound and outbound communications. This is almost like the same question, right? But just uh, phrased in a different way. So the way to do it is, uh, and, and again, this is something finding does, is the ability to take multiple questions that are basically the same, has the same answers. And then when the vendor receives it, they can just pull down the answer that was already given. So they only had to do this once. And then, and then also the, the idea is to create this uh, marketplace. So, so a, an enterprise can pull out, you know, existing, existing assessments from a particular vendor. And then lastly, um, you know, if you look at, for example, at um, how do you assess a vendor for, for example, their cloud environments? Typically, how it's done today is you have you send out a, an assessor, you know, to, to do an assessment. Sit down with the admin for that cloud environment, and to check to see if they're like you know CIS compliant. The way the way we do it is we connect directly with the cloud provider, where it's AWS or Azure, and we review the security controls and pull those out directly from the from the cloud. So that's. You know, the security automation uh, is part of it. But anyway, back to, to the original question, I don't think, unfortunately, I don't think that there's any way to diminish the number of questions or the type of question. The only way you can do this, you know, streamline this is just by using technology. So I'd love to get your take on, you know, connect. So, so do you need like a third party, like a three-party agreement between you, you know, the, the vendor and then the customer so that you can plug into their technology stack? Yeah, so it's a great question. So the, the, the platform itself is completely decentralized. So that means that, you know, we as a company, we don't have access to that information. It's, uh, it's, so the vendor itself is basically connected one-to-one -to, -one to the enterprise. 
but finding doesn't have access to it. So it. Uh, there's there's we we already you know established that. So basically, we don't have a view into into that um, material. But it's a great question. Yeah, I, I find this space completely fascinating. I remember when I was you know at a large insurance company and you know, the underwriters would come to me and say, hey, we're going to go meet with this company for 45 minutes. We're going to place a $10 million bet on this conversation. So if you see anything, let me know because, you know, I got to place the right bet. <laughs> and I'm like, amazing. that's the same. Like, number one, how, you know, it's amazing that, you know, billions of dollars were being decided on that type of model. However, thankfully it's changed. But I feel like it's the same thing in the third party space at the enterprise level where we're all placing bets on vendors and we really don't know like how much of a bet we're placing. So are you guys, what do you, how can we help companies start to understand like the size of the bets that they're placing on these vendors? I couldn't agree more. You're, you're basically running blind, right? You're, uh, you know, you're, you have no idea what's under the covers and the problem is not just third parties. What about the basically end, end party, right? So right. the vendors, vendors, you know, you don't know what technology stack the, the company is using and uh, their partners. So again, I think that the only the only way to do this is using you know to tackle this is with technology is to um, to streamline the whole process and really get down to the details. And in the end, it will also be um, a process where you know certification is going to be pulled out directly from you know from an entity. So for example, just like you. You've been verified for a position. Somebody reaches out to you and, and reaches out to like your school to see if you have a master's degree. Right. This, the same way will be for you know for the enterprise for the vendors themselves. So there will be a, a bunch of certifications out there, um, you know, security certifications that will you know say, okay, are you compliant? And then um, you know somebody out there will provide that. So I know that the for example the CMMC components. Um, someone will provide that certification, but I think that's coming for others. I think where the, the industry is maturing and um, you will, you'll start seeing a bunch more regulate, you know, regulatory uh, controls. And then also on top of that certifications. So companies will have to prove just like you're, you know, if you're a dentist, you have to prove that you have a license. Um, you know, companies will have to prove yeah. that they have basically a, a kind of a license, a compliance certification to, to conduct business. So are you feeling like that's going to shift more into the ISO world or like people are going to be cool with like SOC 2s? What's, what's the, you know, uh, I, I don't, and again, I, I don't think that they're going to be, you know, one run ring to rule them all. Yeah. You know, I think that's unfortunately this going to be depending on the industry. Uh, you know, uh, we will see one, one compliance framework, you know, that basically takes over, but this is going to be more than one. And it's unfortunate. So, so, so you mentioned the, you know, the, the notifications of, you know, contractual obligations for companies to notify when they have a breach, right? And that's never going to go away, right? I don't think. So, but what's interesting about that is when you think about data breach laws at the state level, maybe now at the national level, um, time is very interesting in that conversation, when you think about how long it takes for you to know what is going on with a, a breach, right? In an investigation. And it's going to be very interesting, you know, as this starts to play out over time, 
where companies are going to expect that you have more information because they've outsourced so much or everything's SaaS, right? Everything's third party. They're going to want to know much faster than, you know, companies will have that information for them. And that's going to, that could start to strain relationships. Like, so how do we set expectations for folks around what's a reasonable amount of time for a company to have now who's, who's a victim, right? to be able to go through the incident response process and understand what's happening to them before everybody just piles on top of them? Yeah, that's a great question. So even there, there's there's a bunch of issues with bridge notifications. So first, you have to figure out what happened. So that by itself is challenging, right? Especially the large enterprise. And uh, on top of that, once once something is you know happened uh it typically is it's evolving right so it's not static so you may find out that you had one system breach and then a week later you find out that there's others and then you have you know kind of the, all the, the moving forces around okay should we what should we divulge what kind of information should we allow to you know to uh for others to know you have to consult with legal which you know how how much fun that is uh, then you have the executives have to make a decision in terms of what is, uh, you know, what will be the impact of notifying. So there's a lot of moving parts uh, which causing are causing the, this whole process to really, um, you know, to really slow down. So I, I think that the, the process of breach notification is going to get standardized as well. Uh, and even there, um, there's got to be, a, a you know, some sort of mechanism to, not just notify once, but for example, as soon as you, you um, so as soon as something happened and there's a breach, you you send out the proper information and, and again, findings has the ability to to streamline that that uh, that process, and then you you keep you know you keep them involved, you keep the partner involved as you go along. So you have to develop that trust, you know, with your you know with your partners that. Um, you divulge, you know, all the truth and nothing but the truth, and then and then keep on providing that information as you go. So you can't just wait until everything, you know, all this, the smoke clears. You have to continuously, you know, continuously allow them to uh, to communicate that, and then you do that in such a way that it's not not intrusive. Again, in meaning that you, let's say, if you have a uh, hundred partners, you send that, you know, one maybe one type of uh, document that, that, you know, whether it's digital document, but typically it's digital document. That's what we provide. And then allows the, those vendors to interact. And then almost like I have a self-serve, um, self-service type of portal where the, you know, the partners can go in and, and gather the information from themselves and keep, keep abreast of what, what is going on in real time. So again, it's, it's not the traditional model of waiting a couple months and, Right. Sending out a an official letter from from legal, um, you know, those days are over. I think that's that's going to change rapidly. Yeah, it's a very interesting point, right? It's going to be the shared ecosystem, you know, of everybody so interconnected, having some level of incentive slash contractual slash trust, <laughs> right? That says we need to talk to each other more, right? We have shared, shared risk and it's okay for us to talk. And, and, and if we do like, you know, we're not going to penalize you for everything that you tell us. <laughs> I think that's going to be a really important part of this process 
Um, because to your point, right, it's like, well, do you have a firewall? Yes. Well, do you log everything? Yes. But, you know, do you have, do you have one person looking at all your logs or do you actually have a team of people looking at all your logs? <laughs> right? Like, you know, do you review logs? Yes. And it's one person and I think it looks like the matrix going down the screen, right? Like that's not, <laughs> right. So it's going to be interesting to kind of get clarity around all of that. Um, I, I'd love to get your take though on, you know, your perspective on just how is this, you know, once findings kind of rolls us out and where you're seeing this in terms of the roadmap, like what's the, the thing that's going to make finally be like the really fix this problem? Like what's <laughs> so, so yeah, you know, only, uh, you know, big problems always like we're fixing. Right. So again, the, the, uh, the vision here is to provide a marketplace to, uh, so for example, we, we currently have about 45,000 um, companies currently under continuous review. And any of these 45,000, eventually what you'll do is, uh, you know, you wanted to, to know what's going on with a vendor, with a partner, you log in, and then you request that vendor, you know, access to their, you know, existing kind of database of, of information and, and compliance information. And then you'll be able to pull off a report in real time into what's going on. Just like you do with credit report, right? How do you check a credit? Uh, but it's, yeah. it's the difference between what we do to like, you know, for example, a bit side of security scorecard where, you know, we, we're not an OSINT open source intelligence play where we monitor the attack surface, which can be problematic because um, the way they do is the, the um, align the domain with the, you know, with the IP addresses. And sometimes it, if it's a cloud provider, you have issues, but um, you know, we actually look at, you know, the kind of these questionnaires. So that information is coming directly you know, from, from the company itself. Um, so, so eventually this will be, again, we have to be streamlined just like, uh, you know, today, if you need to pull a credit report on someone, right. it's, it's pulls off sources auto completely automatic from, from, from several credit bureaus and, you know, even your, your phone bill, your, you know, utilities. So it pulls out information from a bunch of sources, completely automatic that will have to be done. So are well, you yeah. also looking at like the bribery corruption risk and the financial viability? Like, are you tackling all, you know, that those two plus cyber risk all at the same time, or are you just doing one part of it? Yeah, no, we, we do all. So the, the beauty of, of what we do that the questionnaires can be completely customized. So if it's, um, you know, it's, it's, it's whatever compliance process you require, we can, we can tailor, you know, a, a questionnaire around it. And then we have the, we have the, um, you know, the standard ones. We have all the kind of the NIST uh, frameworks, the CIS frameworks, uh, you know, the CMMC frameworks already built in. So you can pull that down and then within, you know, a couple hours have, have uh, you know, send out questionnaires to thousands of vendors. And by the way, so there's, you know, what I mentioned is that we work, it's a two-way street. So you said you work for a large insurance company. So the insurance companies themselves also receive these questionnaires from, from their, you know, from their clients. So the way it works is that you have almost like a network, this massive network of, of uh, information flow, compliance information flow um, in a kind of a, almost like a network effect between organizations. And that's the, 
that's the what we're trying to tackle is to get all this automated using um, uh, natural language processing and AI to review these questions and answers to make sure that they, if there's a match, you don't have to, again, you don't have to re-answer those and then provide verification completely automatic from, from vendors that you're currently using. Yeah, it makes, per- makes perfect sense. So the, you know, the integrations with regards to like getting more visibility into the controls in real time of the what kind of pushback? Are you getting any pushback from folks in this process around that? Um, no, I mean we uh, we use uh, APIs, and um, you know the the system itself is uh, defense grade. Uh, we we haven't had any issues, and you know the, think about the, well, the you know what's the alternative? You know, it's just like people used to be shy about moving to the cloud. You know, there's, oh, the cloud is insecure, and, and now they're back at, back at it. Uh, eventually, you'll be crazy to to just do all this stuff manually. And it will be, you'll have no choice but to allow, you know, other system to connect securely to your, you know, to your environment and then, um, you know, verify that information. It will be almost no choice. Yeah, no, I, I like where that, that's headed, man. It's going to be a lot of fun to see how that plays out. All right, folks, we're going to take another short break to hear from our sponsors, but don't go away. We'll be right back with more from our guest, General Manager of the Americas for Findings.co, Mr. David Revive. Thanks. You're listening to Task Force 7 Radio, the voice of cybersecurity. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. As CISOs manage known malware attacks, they also contend with the unknown unknowns. With 24-7 Hacker Innovation, where do CISOs place their next security investment bet? Find the answer with Signet. With forums and public and private partnership dinners in Toronto, London, Singapore, Tokyo, and across the U.S., Signet is a mission-focused, purpose-driven global community advancing the next generation of cybersecurity solutions. As an entrepreneurial ecosystem super connector, Signet brings innovators, top cybersecurity professionals, solution providers, investors, and government executives into a collaborative alliance. Join Signet's global community to empower your organization and the industry to defeat hackers with cybersecurity's next generation of innovation. Learn more at Secure security-innovation.org or Google Sinet, S-I-N-E-T. In today's interconnected world, digital transformation is taking us on a journey towards exciting new ways to work, live, and communicate. In business, staying out in front of the competition means pushing the boundaries of the status quo and exploring the possibilities of the future. However, pushing forward into this fast-changing digital landscape brings a new level of uncertainty and risk that must be measured, understood, and managed. By delivering state-of-the-art cyber risk analytics, X-Analytics is setting the standard to bring business clarity to the complex cyber threats organizations face each and every day. When it comes to understanding your financial exposure to cyber risk, trust what the global cyber insurance industry and Fortune 500 companies trust. Trust X-Analytics to guide you through the uncertainty into cyber risk clarity. For more information about X-Analytics, visit our website today at x-analytics.com. That's x-analytics.com. X-Analytics, setting the standard in the enterprise cyber risk management. 
Have you friended us on Facebook yet? Why not? Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for the keywords Voice America. Once you are part of our Facebook network, you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and new happenings at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. And you can add your voice to the always active discussions on our timeline. Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for Voice America. You are listening to Task Force 7 Radio with George Redis. If you'd like to find out more about our program, please visit the website at taskforce7radio.com. Again, that's taskforce7 with the number 7, radio.com. Now, back to this week's show. Here again is your host, George Redis. Welcome back to Task Force 7 Radio, the voice of cybersecurity. We're back with General Manager Americas for Findings.co, Mr. David Raviv. So, David, I'd love to get your take on where do you think the industry is going to go, man? Where's this headed? So, this is a really good question because I've been asking the same question for, to, you know, to a lot of folks in the past, uh, you know, several months, years. And, uh, you know, I get mixed, uh, mixed results, mixed answers, and I have my own. So, you know, I think eventually there's going to be some sort of consolidation of tools. I think that the environment right now, having, you know, 3,500 vendors, each one saying they have the best mousetrap and, um, you know, and have their own marketing team bombarding you with, with email notifications and, and LinkedIn reach out and calls and so on. That's not sustainable. And then also from a enterprise side they can't possibly look at solutions at all they don't even have the time to even meet with all of those vendors let alone review them in more depth so i i believe eventually things are going to consolidate both on the vendor side it's going to be fewer vendors doing more using leveraging you know high high-end technologies like you know ai and you know ai is a kind of a oxymoron because there, really, there really isn't really a ai currently this there's something that called AI, AI, artificial, artificial intelligence, or AAI. Um, there's no such thing right now, full-on AI, but people are still using it. Um, but it's going to be um, incorporation of, of high-end machine learning uh, technologies, automation, orchestrations, and so on into these technologies, and then consolidation from the vendor side, and then also consolidation on the technology stack as well as the service providers. So I believe instead of having running a SOC 24-7 with a bunch of security controls and, and technologies, you know, companies will have to outsource that function. It's just not a possible way. It's just so costly to maintain um, both yeah, of I mean, You see a lot of that just like an email, right, with Office 365 and other suites, right? I mean, even yeah. you know, things like email have been consolidated like that. Where, exactly. You know, and, and you're going to see the future of that, I think, getting – you know, simpler, we hope. Yep. Who's hosting their own exchange servers today? Exactly. So do you have an exchange server administrator? Like, I mean, I mean, seriously, do you know how, how much I, it used to be? I remember there used to be an exchange team. Fair enough. You know, so, <laughs> so I love, I love the way you're thinking about that. Right. So if you'd, have, if you'd have play that out a little bit, you start to get into, you know, what you mentioned earlier, right. That network effect around third party, um, I think you get to have the same thing around, you know, for security, but I, I want to get your take on, 
I, I feel like there's going to have to be some concessions made. Like we, I don't think we're going to be able to have, we're going to have to find some the right balance of liability and incentives for everybody to have this shared risk when you have this consolidation, right? What's your take on, on where you think that'll go? So, you know, the outsource model will have to be in a certain level. So, I mean, at, you know, these small shops with, you know, one or two CISOs to providing, you know, services and consulting services are also are going to be, are going to be um, going to the way of the Dota bird. I think that there's going to be um, firms that specialize in that. So MSSPs and managed service uh, security providers are going to, take ownership over that and offer, you know, kind of a virtual CISO services. And they also will offer that technology stack that really the customer doesn't really care what, you know, whether it's um, product X or product uh, Y, they just want it to work. And they really just want the kind of the business function taken care of. Uh, So no one really cares what the underlying technology is. So, Coming back to original questions, there's going to be more and more of these uh, service providers are going to specialize in security. And then, by the way, the fastest growing segment for, you know, adding security services for these uh, service providers are actually the MSBs, these companies that already have service, you know, service to customers, but don't have the security function in place. So they are the one who are jumping into security with both feet and then getting hiring the right, the right people. Um, and then hiring the kind of the right, you know, buying the right into the right technology. So, the opportunities to um, to get uh, less companies, less folks, um, individuals, less less individuals involved, but you know, in a more robust and uh, you know focused ways, they're going to have um, companies that specialize in security, and they will offer the entire service stack. Uh, and then what's going to happen is the network effect here is that they have visibility into what's going on in the marketplace and have the time to review all those technologies and have the kind of the network effect to to and visibility into um, what's happening in the marketplace and what's happening in the industry to very quickly adjust. Uh, so, for, for example, Findings is working with, with several MSSPs to provide that service to their clients because a lot of clients, you know, coming back to the third-party risk, don't even want to deal with a third party. Um, they just want to have the whole thing outsourced to someone else. All right. So before so I let you, before I let you go tonight, I got to ask you one more question. Sure, sure. Right. W- w- the future of the CISO does that become more of a risk position, or does it maintain a security role? So I definitely think it's it's going to be leaning towards the risk side of the house. And uh, again, because security right now is not standalone. I, I think that that is uh, that is gone. I think security now has to be woven into the fabric of everything, everything in the organization. Every single process in the organization has to have some security woven into it, from development to you know to uh, you know the supply chain to to how you operate as a business, and so. It's an over so cybersecurity is an overall risk. It's just kind of a pillar of, of the overall risk. So coming back to the original question, it's you know the virtual CISOs and the CISO will have to be um, you know risk managers. Roger that, brother. Look, I appreciate it, David. Thank you for coming back on the show, man. It's been a real pleasure, Andy. 
All right, folks, time for us to bounce up on out of here. Before I go to remind our listeners to visit the Cybersecurity Hub to get a recap of tonight's show and get other up-to-date cybersecurity breaking news at www.cshub.com. That's the Cybersecurity Hub at cshub.com. Thanks for tuning in. You're listening to Task Force 7 Radio, the voice of cybersecurity. Stay frosty out there. Thank you for tuning in this week to Task Force 7 Radio. To learn more about Task Force 7 Radio, please visit our website at taskforce7radio.com. Be sure to join your host, George Reedus, again next Monday at 8 p.m. Eastern Time, 5 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel.